What is up, local church? Happy New Year 2023. Just crazy that it is already 2023. I remember when I was a kid, like, writing out 2,000 at the top of my, my papers in school. I was eight years old, and that, like, seems like forever ago, but it was, like, the biggest deal that I was writing three zeros, and there was a two at the beginning. Now we're here, and I'm 30 years old, and I'm getting old, but I'm okay. Keep me in your prayers. Um, it's going to be a great day in church. We're going to dive in to the Word of God. I really want to set us up for a great year, to, to do what I can to help get us in the right headspace for really a great year in God. So we're going to dive right in. We're going to go to the book of Matthew, chapter 16, starting in verse 13, and all the way through 26, it says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elisha, and uh, Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Peter, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood, I should say, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was a Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day raised. And, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your minds on the things of God, but on the things of men. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Father, today we come to you and we ask that you would speak to us. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come into our lives, into our hearts, into whatever room that we're in watching this, this sermon right now. And we pray that you would speak to us, speak to the depths of who we are and what we need to hear from you, Lord. God, I pray that you'd help me to partner with what you're already doing in the lives of everybody that's listening. God, we pray that it gives you glory. Thank you for a new year. Thank you for a new year where we get to, to experience your grace. God, your mercy afresh. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there is no other way that I would start this sermon by declaring, by letting the world know that on December 7th, 
2022 at 1.01 p.m. coming in at 10 pounds. Holy four ounces. My firstborn son was born. My firstborn son, he is the freaking best. He's the cutest kid ever. I don't care what anybody else says. I'll fight you. We'll have a, uh, a competition where they judge cuteness. I will win. He will win. But I will be part, a participant in the winning because I'm his dad. That's how it works. I get some of what he gets. Could not be more stoked. Could not be loving life. And Mark, honestly, like even with the lack of sleep, with everything, you know, all of the things that people complain about, even those little moments, I'm loving it. We're loving it. And Jane, holy, Jane is just incredible. She's doing so great. She she is just a champ women. God bless you. You guys are just absolute champions doing what you do. Watching Jane go through pregnancy, going through labor, it was one of the most beautiful, graceful, amazing things that, that I had honestly ever seen. You know, for nine months, I got to see this amazing thing take place. And to be totally honest, other than supporting her, you know, I didn't really have much to do with the actual forming of Charlie for those nine months. You know, I, you know, there was some involvement and then there was about a nine month break. And it's really interesting, you know, Jane was doing all this work, her body's working so hard to create this human, but I just, I didn't have a lot to do with it. But what I did have a hand in helping with was naming Charlie. That's what we named him, Charlie Rhodes. I got to have a hand in, in giving him this, this name, the, this title, you know, we, we did all these things, we, you know, checked out websites, we're thinking about family names, so there's these apps where you, it's like a dating app, like you both have it and you both swipe left or right on names. If you get a match, you get a notification. Tried so many things, but finally we settled on Charlie Rhodes. Charlie means Freeman. And then Rhodes, his middle name, means of the roses. And really that's our prayer for him, that he would experience freedom in the most true sense. That he would experience the freedom of God, that he experience freedom in life, that he wouldn't be held back, that he'd be able to, to do anything in God that's really deep in his heart. And then of the roses, Charlie Rhodes, we pray that his life would be fruitful, that he would flourish in every area he does. What a privilege to get to name this little, not so little, he's pretty big, but this, this thing, this human, this whole person, we got to give him a name. What a privilege to get to name him. In today's passage, Jesus and his disciples are entering the district of Caesarea Philippi. And as they arrive, Jesus asks them this question. Who do you say that I am? Who, who do you say that I am? What's the name that you would give me? Barclay says this. He says that this area, the district of Caesarea Philippi, this area was scattered with temples of the ancient Syrian Baal worship. By Caesarea Philippi, there was a great hill in which there was a deep cavern, and that cavern was said to be the, birth, the birthplace of the great god Pan, the god of nature. Also in this town, there was a great temple of white marble built to the godhead of Caesar. It's as if in this moment, Barclay points out, as if Jesus deliberately sets himself against the background of the world's religions in all their history, in all their splendor, and demanded to be compared to them and to have the verdict given in his favor. When it comes to this passage and, 
and it being written in the book of Matthew. The definitive characteristic of the book of Matthew was its appeal to the Jewish mind. For example, we find way more Old Testament quotes in the book of Matthew than in the other Gospels. And the reason for this is that Matthew's goal was to convince the Jews, to convince the Jewish people that Jesus was their promised and prophesied Messiah. That Jesus was, in fact, the person that they had been waiting centuries for. But what's interesting is that when Jesus shows up on the scene, so many people don't realize that this is the person that they've been waiting for for all these years. The reality is that he upset person after person after person. And most of the time, it was because he wasn't who they anticipated him to be. He wasn't who they expected him to be. He wasn't who they wanted. He did things that they didn't expect. He said things that they didn't expect. They were hoping for and expecting, expecting a militant revolutionary, but instead they got a peaceful, compassionate carpenter who took the form of a suffering servant. They wanted him to be one thing, but he was another thing entirely. Unlike our children, when it comes to Jesus, we don't have the privilege or the right to get to name him as we like. We don't get to cherry pick and, and choose the attributes and the personality traits that we like and tailor make Jesus to fit our preferences and our personalities. And what I'm realizing more and more in my life as I'm getting older, as I, you know, I'm 30 years old now and now I have a kid, what I'm realizing more and more in my life is the importance of my version of Jesus, my naming of Jesus, matching up with the version that's described in the scriptures. I'm realizing more and more that the more disharmony that there is, the more discrepancy there is between those two things, the more disharmony there is in my life. And on the flip side, the more harmony, the more synchronicity, that there is more synergy there is between those two things, the more peace I find in my life, the more harmony I have. I believe that, you know, this is so important for us to get right. So to start off the new year, I want to ask ourselves three questions. Three questions that when answered well and when they fall into alignment with one another, bring about a deep harmony in our lives and can set us on a path for a great year. Amen? Well, question one. The first question is, who do you say that he is? Who do I say that he is? An ongoing part of the Christian journey is rejecting your own version of who Jesus is. Rejecting your own flawed, human, you know, individual perception of who you think Jesus should be, could be, would be, and going on the journey of realizing who does the Bible say that he actually is. An important part of this journey is not importing your own wants and ideas of who he is, but getting to know who he really is. Charles Spurgeon makes an interesting point on today's passage. He says this, Our Lord presupposes that his disciples would not have the same thoughts as men had. You know, he asks first, who do they say that I am? And then he asks, who do you say that I am? It's inherent in this question that he's expecting a different answer. Spurgeon goes on, 
They would not follow the spirit of the age and shape their views by those of the cultured persons of the period. You see, it's so important that we don't allow the world to shape what we think about Jesus. Who do you say that he is? Who do I say that he is? This is why the early church spent so much time and worked so hard at, at confessions like the Apostles' Creed. You know, this, this document, this, this set of words and phrases declaring the truths about what is in the Bible. They worked so hard because they knew if we can get people talking about God the right way and the church as a whole can get on the same page, we're going to be okay. So as the disciples are entering with Jesus to, to Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asks them, who do people say that I am? And it's like he's setting them up, like he's teaming up for the question he ultimately wants to get at. Who do people say that I am? Oh, maybe a prophet, you know, maybe, maybe this, maybe that, maybe Elijah, maybe John the Baptist. You're just like, okay. What about you? Hey boys, hey, hey, hey friends, hey, you're my you're my guys, you're my 12 closest, you're you're my you're my my dudes. Who do you say that I am? I believe that God is asking this, that Jesus is asking each one of us the same question as we go into this new year. Who do you say that he is? When you think about Jesus, when people ask you what you think about Jesus, when people ask you why is it that you are a part of this community that gets together and talks about this guy so much? What's the deal with him? Why is he worth your time? Why is he worth your effort? Why is he worth your tithe, your money? What, who, who is this person? Is he just a guy that maybe, maybe he existed 2,000 years ago? Is he just one of many different good teachers that have walked the earth throughout history? Or is he who he said that he is? Is he God with flesh on? Is he the word become flesh among us? The creator of all things with no beginning and no end. The man who laid down his own life for the sin and the brokenness of the entire world. How do you answer this question? Who do I say that he is? Who do you say that Jesus is? Proverbs 18 Verse 21 says, the power, or the tongue, has the power of life and death. Your words carry weight. And what you have to say about people matters. This is true in every single relationship in our lives. If you're married, how you talk about your spouse matters. If you have kids, how you talk about them matters. If you're single, how you talk about men or women, or how you talk about your friendships, that, that matters. Your, your boss, that matters. Your parents, that matters. Your friends, your church community, it all matters. It matters because how you speak about someone affects the vitality of your relationship with them. How you, how you speak about someone in a relationship with them affects the vitality and the flourishing of that Relationship, And if this is true for how we talk about people, how much more true must it be when we talk about Jesus? How much more when we're talking about the Savior of the world? 
Here's how powerful your words about God are. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, we say this when, we want, when we're inviting someone into a relationship with Jesus. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you declare with your mouth what you say, what you verbalize, what you have to do, you say that he's Lord. Your words are so powerful, they carry so much weight, that if you declare with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved for eternity. Your words carry weight. This question, how we answer this question matters. Ultimately, this is why local church exists. Local church exists so that people who have never heard about Jesus can discover and declare with their mouths and believe in their heart Jesus is Lord and that we can see them saved. People who have been hurt and broken in the past can discover and declare that Jesus is a loving Lord who binds up the wounds of the brokenhearted and sets the captives free. Who do I say that he is? Question number two, who do I act like he is? In true Peter fashion, he takes us on a roller coaster in today's passage. Peter starts off killing it. He starts off just knocks it out of the park. Jesus loves his answer. Now imagine, I'm going to read it again. Imagine Jesus saying this to you. Jesus asks you a question. You give a response. And this is how Jesus responds to your response. Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, this is it right here. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I mean, come on. That's about as ideal of a response as you can hope for from the Messiah when you give an answer. Like the guy who knows everything, you give a response to a question and he's like, that's it. You're just like, okay, that's it, I'm done. I, okay, put my feet up, I'm done. Great answer. I'm not gonna talk again for the rest of my life. Nailed it. Gives a great response. But this is Peter we're talking about and Peter's like us. So what goes, what, what happens? Well, let's, let's keep reading. Soon enough, Peter allowed his own fears and opinions about Jesus to dictate his actions. As soon as Jesus begins to describe what's going to happen with, with his burial, and his death, his burial, and his resurrection, our passage says that as Peter took him aside and rebuked Jesus for saying all of this crazy nonsense, Jesus says to him, far, far be it from you, or sorry, Peter says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But then Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me. Satan. It actually says that. Get behind me, Satan. He just said he's going to build this church on this guy. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter may have said the right thing at first, but when push came to shove, his actions didn't line up with his words. After nailing it on the head in one moment, as soon as Jesus began to draw outside the lines a little bit, 
Peter ends up trying to control and manipulate the situation with his actions. And Jesus makes a point to stop it dead in its tracks. Jesus praises Jesus, sorry, Jesus praises Peter's words, but he condemns his actions. Oh, I don't want that to, to be the case when it comes to me. I don't want Jesus to praise just my words. I want him to praise my actions. Quoting the prophet Isaiah in Matthew 15, Jesus says this about the Pharisees and the scribes. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We should all pray that we would not just be close to Jesus in word, but in deed. That our hearts would remain far closer to him than our lips, and not the other way around. Origen suggested that in this moment, Jesus was saying to Peter, when he says, get behind me, Satan. Peter, your place is behind me, not in front of me. Your place is to follow me in the way that I choose and not try to lead me in the way that you'd like me to go. Take a moment and think about that in terms of your own life. Do, do I try and lead Jesus? Or do I let him lead me in my relationships, in my finances, in my theology, in my workplace? Do I let him rule over every area of my life, the good, the bad, the ugly? When we come into relationship with Jesus, he doesn't just become Lord of the way that we talk. He becomes Lord of the things that we do. Who do I act like he is? I mean, who do I say that he is, but who do I act like he is? James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and, and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good! Even the demons believe that and shudder. If all we're doing is talking about the fact that we believe that God is who, he, who that Jesus is who he says he is, we're just as good as the demons. They believe that too. I want to be someone who honors him in my words and in my deeds. Christianity isn't just a thing of verbalization. It is a thing of action. It is a movement, a religion of action. We need to remember that it's not our deeds that save us. It's his deed, his finished work on the cross. Amen. But it's by our deeds that the world will know that we're saved. It's by the way that we Give when the world takes. It's by the way that we notice and take action to help the widow, the poor, and the orphan. It's by the way that we extend grace to those who have wronged us, turn the other cheek, forgive 70 times 7. This is where the rubber meets the road. It's one thing to say that Jesus is Lord of your life, to say you are the Christ. It's another thing to act like it. Who do you say that he is? 
Who do you act like he is? Lastly, question number three. Who do I know him to be? Who, who, do, you, who do you declare this is, this is the person of Jesus? How do your actions line up with that? But, but I think where the crux of all of this, it really can be found in the answer to this third question. Who do I know him to be? The truth is, we're not always going to speak right. And we're definitely not always going to act right. That's why this last question is so important. It speaks of relationship. Who do I know him to be? In my marriage or my friendships, I'm nowhere near perfect all the time. Like, no, nowhere close. But I'm so thankful that those relationships go deeper than just words and just actions. Those are important. Words in a relationship, important. Actions, so important. But the relationship as a whole, the, the, at the depth, at the core, it, it needs to go deeper than just those things. When we fall short and when life gets hard, it's so important that we know who Jesus is. That we have an understanding that the God that we're in relationship with, that the person that we're in relationship with is perfectly just that he keeps the record of wrongs, that he works all things together for the good of those that love him, that he cares about the lost and the lonely. These are just some of the things that, that Jesus promises that, that he is, that God promises that he is. But the, the promises that he makes and who I, I know him to be, when life gets tough and, and I get shaken, what's, what remains is who I know him to be. And, and sometimes doesn't always line up with the things that he's promised. You know, I grew up going to churches that would name the year. That, you know, this was classic, you know, small town, Pentecostal church. You know, every year, pastor would get up on the first Sunday of the month and say, this is the year of breakthrough. 1998, it's the year of jubilee. 2007, it's the year of bountiful harvest. This stuff, amazing. I'm all for it, okay? You can't get the Pentecostal out of my blood. You cannot do it. But what if we just stripped it all back? What if we just took a step back and simplified it? What if this was the year of getting to know Jesus better? What if 2023 was the year that we as a church, that we as individuals, that we as, as people in relationship, we got to know Jesus better. There's so many great goals for you go to, to set going into 2023. Health, finances, relational. Maybe you want to start journaling. Maybe you want to, you want to, you know, you want to write that book. You want to you want to complete that piece of art. You want to do that thing. You want to restore a relationship with that person. All those things are awesome. But I think that, you know, if at the end of the year, if all you could look back on it and say, and in December, 2020, a year from now, 2023, December 2023, if, if you could say, man, all I did this year, I got to know Jesus better. I think that's pretty great. 
I think that's amazing. I think that if that was something that we all went after, I think it would just be such a pleasing gift to God that he would be so stoked on that gift that we could offer him. What if that became your daily mantra, your daily prayer? Lord, help me get to know you better. In the final portion of our passage, Jesus tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? There's a verse in Philippians chapter 3 that just it, it ties in so well with this. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. But whatever were gains to me, Paul says, I now consider them loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of its surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. 2023 is the year to realize that everything else pales in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. Don't just talk the talk. Don't even just walk the walk. Take this year, take today, take this moment, wherever you are, wherever you're watching this, take this moment right now as an opportunity to get to know him more intimately than you ever have before. What are some ways that we can do this? Well, do the things that, that invest into a relationship with him. It's like anything else you want to grow, you have to tend it, you have to invest into it. Any relationship takes time, intentionality, effort. Intentionality leads to intimacy. It's the same with our relationship with God. So do the things that invest into a relationship with him. Start a Bible reading plan. Spend a few minutes in prayer every day. Invest into godly friendships, people that, that, that sharpen you, that, that bring you up, that push you forward into the things of God. Join a group. Try some spiritual disciplines in your life. Sabbath, silence, solitude. Serve on a team. Try tithing for the first time. Join us as a church on our discipleship journey we call Walk. You know, where you can, you can go on the journey of becoming more and more like Christ every day. Come to a first Sunday service where we dive deeper and get activated. Get some accountability in areas that you've been struggling with for years. Make this a year where you finally are able to go to war with that thing and come out victorious. Spend less time on your phone. Read a book from our recommended book list online. Try fasting. I know like this list and there's others that we could be adding to. I know this list seems like a lot. And I'm by no means saying that you need to start doing all of these things at 100% intensity today. But in James chapter 4, it does say this. That when we draw near to God, He draws near to us. When we invest in relationship with Him, when we get to know Him better, when we lean in and say, God, 
I'm going to do it this year. I'm leaning in. I'm going to try a couple of these things. I'm going I'm to lean in. When we draw near to God, the word says that he draws near to us. And what a perfect opportunity today to do it. As we start off another year, full with possibility, to draw near to God, to lay all the stuff that pales in comparison aside, and to draw near to him like we never had. Who do you say that he is? When I think about God, when people ask, who, what's what comes off my lips? What are the words that I say? They matter, they carry weight. Who do I act like he is? Do my actions back up my words? When push comes to shove, when the rubber meets the road, what, what are my deeds speaking? Am I investing? When people look at my life, they can tell that I'm investing in a relationship with him. But lastly, who, who do I know him to be? When that stuff fails and it will, we'll say the wrong thing, we'll do the wrong thing. In, in my heart of hearts, at my core, in the deepest part of me, who do I know him to be? What's the relationship that I have? Who do I know him to be? These three questions, when, when, in, when in alignment, when answered well, they can bring a deep harmony. They can set us on the path for an amazing year as a church, as individuals, as people in relationship with one another. If you're here today and maybe you, you don't even know who Jesus is, period. You've never heard of this, this guy, this, this historical figure. Maybe you have and he is just, maybe he's one way to the, the afterlife. Maybe he's, he's just a guy with some good ideas. I'm here to tell you today that he is, he is God with flesh on. He is the Lord. He is the Savior of the world that we just celebrated Christmas, which was the arrival, the advent, the arrival of, of our Savior, taken, come to earth in the form of a baby, lived a life as a human here on earth. People couldn't wrap their minds around it because it was so different than what they expected. It's so jarring. But the reality is, is that he lived a sinless life and then he died on a cross for your sins, for all of your brokenness, for all of your shame, so that he could pay that price and that you could have eternal life, that you could participate in the reality of forgiveness, of salvation. Jesus loves you so much. He wants you to experience him and life to the full, more than you ask, think, or imagine. This could be an amazing year for you. Why not start a relationship with Jesus today? Why not become a Christian? Why not take this step? I just, again, as you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, we read it earlier, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord, you will be saved. So I'm going to pray a prayer here in a second, and I'll say a line, and then all together, wherever you're at, we'll just repeat, you can just repeat it after me. And if this is you, just really like take a moment and, and get serious and focus in and, and let these words sink into your heart. This is your chance now to start a relationship with Jesus. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for your salvation, for saving me, for your sinless life, for going to the cross, dying, and raising again on the third day. I've fallen short time and time again, 
I put all my trust and hope in you and ask you to forgive me. I'm trusting you with my whole life. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Wherever you're at, just put your hands together right now for those people. So awesome. It's the best thing you could ever do. Best way to start off the new year. If that's you, make sure that you click the link that's going to appear in the chat right now. Make sure that you you you, you take the steps so we can give you some resources and, and help you out on this amazing journey. Someone's going to reach out and connect with you. And for the rest of us, I'm praying that 2023 would be the best year ever for local church. That we would experience so much uh, of his presence, we experienced so much of his, his healing, his, his miracles, that it would be an incredible, incredible year for us as a church. My prayer is that you would, you, you would figure out who he is, that you would know him more intimately than ever before. We love you guys so much. We'll see you back next week. It's going to be an incredible year. We love you. Bye.